Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, everybody. It's uh, good to be with you. Um, Derek Scott III, your host, uh, and I'm here with my great friends from Studio Wesley. We got Brooke in the room. Brooke, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Awesome. And we got Michael Yurick also in the room. How you doing, Michael? Doing great. Michael, thank you for being the host the last two episodes. They were brilliant gave me the impression that I shouldn't come back. Um, uh, I promised I, I promised the people that you would be back, Derek, and you are back. I understand, but some of those people were like, hey man, you don't have to come back. Michael did a great <laughs> job. And so oh, I'm you. trying to figure out, living in the tension of the invitation, well not the invitation, the, thing, your, the promise you made, and also like recognizing mm-hmm. that people don't want me to come back. It's a beautiful place to be. And Neil is here in the room as well. Neil, how you doing? I'm I'm doing, man. I'm here. Beautiful. Well, we're, we got a great, great show ahead of you, and I'm super excited about it. But, Brooke, I'm going to ask you if you would open us up in prayer. Yes, I will. If y'all want to join me in prayer. Um, dear God, thank you so much for bringing us here together today. Thank you for everyone watching. And I ask that you will be with us in this recording space and in the hearts and lives of everyone who is present with us listening throughout this may we um may we listen to you may we hear you and may we obey you and um may we love you and each other in your name we pray amen amen well we are in the fifth week of lent it's kind of the last full week of the lenten season before we go into passion week passion week being the last week um and so um we're, we are we have journeyed through this season and really, really heartened by the discussions that we've been having on Studio Wesley Annex. And today we are going to be uh, diving into uh, Romans 8, Ezekiel 37, Psalm 130, and John chapter 11. And uh, I think we're going to get started with the Romans 8 text from Brooke. So, Brooke, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, um, we are doing... Romans 8, um, 6 through 11. And I've um, I've been really thinking a lot about the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Last night uh, or yesterday, I saw uh, that movie, Jesus Revolution. And there's a lot of things I could say about the movie. But um, when asked about my favorite character in the movie, I said that my favorite character in the movie was the Holy Spirit. Because I think the movie, because it was a Christian movie, um, it had a way of showing like the movement of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit like makes things happen um, in ways that like are unexpected um, and beautiful. And that's honestly one of my favorite parts of Christian life currently. What I really like about this passage is that it not only talks about the Holy Spirit, which is like this wonderful, beautiful thing. And honestly, it's kind of funny that like I can say that about the Holy Spirit because like back in the day, like six years ago, I had a lot of bad things to say. <laughs> I just like wasn't vibing with the Holy Spirit. But um, but what I really like about this passage is that it not only reflects on the Holy Spirit externally, but I think it really gives us an insight into how the Holy Spirit is to operate in our own lives. Um, 
and like how how can we live into the Holy Spirit and know that we're living into the Holy Spirit? So the first verse I'm going to bring us to is Romans 8, 6, which is to set the mind on flesh is death, <laughs> but to set the mind on spirit is life and peace. Um, gosh, it, now this is one of those passages and I had dig into like, the translations of this. I, um, I'm a person who currently believes that like Jesus came and became human. I think that to be human is sacred. I think that our bodies are sacred. I think that material existence is sacred. Um, so in my head, when I hear Jesus say, or not Jesus, <laughs> when I read Paul say the flesh, um, I do think probably Paul and I have like different theological ideas about the sacredness of our bodies. Um, but when I, when I read flesh, what I think of is like referencing back to what we've heard, um, Paul say in Romans earlier about how, like the way of Jesus is life, right? But without Jesus, we have death. That's sort of like how I read flesh here. Um, and the way I connect to that in my own life, right? Is like, there's the part of me that wants what God doesn't want, right? <laughs> like there's the part of me that wants to live into things that are not kingdom values, right? That wants to like lift myself up, that wants to um, compete and devour and like think that like I'm better than other people. Um, you know, like, I don't know. I, I imagine we're all familiar with like sin, um, you know. <laughs> um, but the way that it calls us to, like the spirit is not that, like the spirit of God is the thing that binds us together, that fills us with love and peace and um, community, like a desire to deeply care and love in the way that Jesus loves. Um, that's what I, gosh, that's what I really appreciate about this is I appreciate the way that the spirit moves in our lives, but I also like a reminder of what does it mean to focus on the spirit and to live into the spirit in my own life? And the second, the second verse I'm going to bring us is at the very end. Um, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Um, what I like about this is it kind of is that external idea um, of the Holy Spirit. It gives me, it reminds me of like, what is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Um, I'm the type of person where like, I feel like I see the Holy Spirit everywhere, right? Like I see a flower and I'm like, oh, look, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, but I appreciate this reminder. And especially right now, it's the first day of spring when we're recording this idea that like Jesus is the springtime force, like the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of resurrection, the spirit that that brings life where there's death. Like to me, the Holy Spirit is this ordinary thing. And it's this thing that I can struggle with inside of myself, but it's this powerful force that's growing and moving and it, it brings dead things to life and it's available to us and inside of us. Um, right here and now and available in our whole lives. And I think that's really beautiful. And I really appreciate that. Awesome. 
Wow, Brooke. Really appreciate that. Uh, friends, let's uh, discuss um, what Brooke brought to us. And I'll just, I'll start with um, sort of what I grew up with around verses like this and hearing verses about the flesh, that it was, um, it always was was talking about the body. And I grew up in a very specific um, tradition. It was not United Methodist. Um, uh, it was, but whenever someone brought up the flesh and, and living to the flesh, it was always sort of related to the body and in some respects related to the desires of the body. And in some respects that made sense. In other respects, it got a bit confusing. So things like, um, you know, when we started talking about fasting, for instance, and there, there is the spiritual discipline of fasting, right? And the inability to fast was usually equated to um, being too um, focused on the flesh. And it, 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 and again, there's this tension around the, uh, around the, 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 the discipline of fasting, as well as then what your body needs and trying to figure out one versus the other, right? Like there's that tension. And so that was often confusing for me. And in some respects, it's, it's partly why, I mean, I don't think I've ever really preached very much on scriptures that usually related to the flesh. Um, however, in the common English Bible, that version translate that term flesh to selfishness. And there is something helpful about that translation. It helps me get into this text in a way that I have historically not been able to. And I actually really appreciate verse nine, where in the translation, CEB translation, um, it says, but you aren't self-centered. Instead, you are in the spirit. And all of a sudden, I'm like, ooh, ooh. And so just thinking about even the ways, Brooke, that you're sort of wrestling with this theology, the theology of the Bible, and I'm sorry, theology of the, of the body. I need to get my head screwed on, y'all. <laughs> As you're wrestling with the theology of the body in relation to this text, I, I find something helpful in the translation. And this is why translations are re, can be really helpful in our study because we're all coming at the text from different angles. And sometimes the folks that kind of think like us translate the text in a way that's like, ooh, I don't know. And somebody who doesn't think like us, like actually we saw it this way, like, oh, I'm a CEB guy, but you get my point. So anyway, I the idea that flesh might actually be translated as selfishness and self-centeredness gets me into this text a little bit. So then when at the end, when Paul's like, the same spirit lives in you, it, it, it makes me think about what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, as you were talking about, Brooke. But to be empowered would mean to not be self-centered. And one last point, then I'm going to let Michael throw in some stuff here. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit. No, if I am going to be, if going to not be self-centered, if I'm not going to be selfish, that actually means that that is a function of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And I need the Holy Spirit in order to do that. That might not be work I can do on my on my own, by myself. I need the Holy Spirit to help me live a life that is not self-centered, that is not selfish. Okay, I'm done. I'm gonna get my head screwed on straight. Michael, bring some clarity. 
So I don't know about clarity, but I can make it a little bit more confusing. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, when I first read this, like the top verse in this section, the mind focused on flesh is doomed to death, but a mind focused on spirit, that whole thing. I like initially, this has been like the verse for me that's about um, like literal physical, like body image insecurity, like, which is very little interpretation. The mind focused on the flesh is doomed to death. If you're like so obsessed with your outward appearance and that those insecurities, then you're like, you're doomed to like be in your head, like, and to die mentally. Um, but I do think there's a connection between that and the, um, the selfishness that you're talking about, Derek, which, yeah, that, that, I mean, I think you're right. That totally opens this up a lot for me, especially when we're thinking in terms of like, our, our duty as like a vessel of the spirit or um, as being like a light and a light of positivity, like that is not self-focused on our own insecurities, but um, focused outward on others and lifting them up. So I don't know, just uh, interesting thoughts. Yeah. I uh, kind of like you, Derek, like whenever I grew up like in church environments and they talked about the flesh, it almost had everything, yeah, it was very much to do like, you know, with the body uh, and whatnot, you know, um, <clears throat> I mean, granted, I grew up in a Baptist, uh, you know, background. So it was like, whenever it was about the body, it was always it, it was this notion that, you know, because there's a quote, I think from Paul, where he's like, in this flesh, no good thing dwelleth or whatever. And so they use that as a way to basically tell us that we shouldn't trust our bodies, that we shouldn't trust our hearts. Or anything like that, that like that we are, you know, in our in ourselves are just sort of untrust, untrust, untrustworthy, uh, untrustworthy, unreliable beings who like have to rely on God for like any and all discernment. Which like it's good to rely on God for like discernment. Like that part's not wrong, but it's the idea that anything we might do or might feel led to do is probably the wrong thing. And that was instilled in me for a very long time. It took a long time to get out. But I do also like the idea that the flesh could be translated as selfishness because that makes more sense where it's like, well, hold on a minute. The, like the whole thing can't be bad, right? <laughs> like it can't all be bad. Like there has to be some good in there somewhere, but to label it as specifically the selfishness, like that is what makes more sense and i think if uh, you know churches thought of it that way then a lot less kids would come out traumatized you know but that's that's, that's the tea brooke getting us started on our uh fifth week of lent so grateful well we have now listened to the new testament text we are now moving to the old testament text and my goodness neil you have ezekiel 37 um i don't even know <laughs> I'm excited to hear this. So take it away, my dude. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Ezekiel uh, 7. I I actually really like this passage. This is one of those passages in a weird way that, like, I just never knew, like, which passage it was, but I'd always heard of it. Um, and then I, I remember looking this one up a while ago because a couple of years ago, whenever Elevation Worship put out the Rattle album, there's that lyric, Dry Bones, Hear the Word of the Lord. I was like, what are they referencing? Because that song is great, but it's also full of a lot of really weird, obscure biblical references that like not a lot of people know about, which I guess shows goes to show you how, you know, how <laughs> what the writer's rooms are like, you know, it's like, guys are running out of ideas. We can only sing about water so much, clouds. It's like, we need something else. So they said bones. But anyway, uh, this passage is great because I think 
what it does is, you know, uh, basically in this, you know, it's like, it says, you know, Lord's power overcame me, blah, blah, blah. Where, what am I, where am I looking? Ah, yes. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? Also, the CEB, it says human one. And it's like, what? Um, it's like, you know, I said, you know, Lord God, only you can know. And it's a story about, you know, there are these bones and whatnot. And God tells this person, it's like, yeah, like, you know, you got to prophesy over these bones and the bones will come back to life. Turns out the bones represent uh, the entire nation of Israel and whatnot. But what I love about it is that it's sort of like this. It's about like the resurrection of the nation of Israel and also kind of a foreshadowing of the resurrection uh, power of God. Oh, God, that's another line from an Elevation song. <laughs> you could say, the worship leader brain, I can't turn it off some days. Um, but yeah, I love it. It's just sort of a foreshadow of like, you know, the resurrection and whatnot, right? Where it's like, can these bones like, you know, like live again? Can these bones come back to life? And we see, you know, resurrection like happen a lot in the Bible. Um, not just, you know, even in the New Testament, but, you know, also at the song rattle, the, you know, the bones of Elisha where uh, these two guys were burying their friend who died and, you know, they're about to put him in this tomb and all of a sudden they see some Moabite raiders come over the distance and they're like, oh, like, you know, we got to get out of here. So they just kind of dump their friend's body in this tomb, but their friend lands on the bones of the prophet Elisha and he comes back to life. And if that was me, I'd probably be rather upset with my friends where it's like, dude, y'all couldn't even finish my burial properly. I landed on some dude's bones and now all of a sudden I'm back. Like, what is going on here? Anyway, I'm getting on tangents now. You, you talk about your head not being screwed on properly, Derek. This is where I'm at right now. I am, you know, I am good place season four peeps in the chili pot. That's where I'm at right now. But yeah, and one of my <laughs> one of my favorite um, passages uh, or one of my favorite verses in this passage. Um, I want to find the exact one. Where is it? Okay, I think I think it's here. Yeah. So in verse 11, it says, he said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. And I just I don't know why like that makes me laugh. It's just like it's just the most hopeless sentence like ever. It's like, yeah, our bones are dried up. Our hope is perished. We're done. You know? But I think behind that is also the notion that, like, not only can God, like, bring someone back to life, like, or bring someone or anything back to life literally, but there's also, like, metaphorically bringing someone back to life. Because in some ways, like, to me in my brain, sometimes, like, hope is all we have. You know what I mean? Like, we have, like, the physical things around us, and that stuff is, like, great. But there's a lot of things that we kind of just have to hope for because we don't actually know. I feel like my camera's just slightly falling over. Um, yeah, sometimes hope is all we have, and sometimes hope is the only thing that keeps us going. So not only can God bring back, you know, someone to life literally, but also like metaphorically just by restoring hope. Um, anyway, I've rambled for long enough, I think, at this point. This guy bringing First Kings references into, into his response. My, my goodness. I love it. So... Brooke, what do you think? Uh, I'm excited to be going to Divinity School with Neil next year. No. Yeah, you got to be careful, Neil. Um, <laughs> no, I, um, gosh, I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this short, really. Um, but I, um, 
I really appreciate what you said, Neil. Um, and I just, I am, and I, I feel like I knew this, right? Like in the back of my head, I knew this, but going through the liturgical readings like week by week, again, like, and sometimes it doesn't do this. Sometimes like, I don't know, like it doesn't all come together, but sometimes it does. So I'm thinking about how like the this fits with like the, like the resurrection that was in, in Christ, like the Holy Spirit, like what these dry bones. Um, and I'm also really thinking about what you said about hope, Neil. Um, and I, I, I find this so beautiful, right? Because when I, and I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know exactly what Ezekiel was going through, but like he was having a hard time, right? Like they were in like some truly desperate spaces, right? Like that, that's where this comes from is like, he really felt like everything was dead. Like that's what he's speaking to. And from that place, even from that place, like new life comes. Um, and I'm thinking of like all the things that I feel hope was about. Um, like, yeah, I won't, I won't like our country, you know, like, like, like so many things where I'm like, this is just broken <laughs> and I'm really worried about what comes next. Um, and I don't know, like God does really strange things and like the things that Ezekiel and his people probably wanted, like did not happen in the way that they wanted. Um, but I, it's just a reminder of me to remember that like God's spirit is present, like God's hope is present and God can and will bring about new life in God's time. Yeah, yeah. So fun fact, Ezekiel is the only book of the Bible that I've read all the way through. I've like weirdly been obsessed with this book since I was a little kid where I was like, there's these like weird creatures with four faces and their spirits in a wheel. It's like a whole, I don't know, as a kid, all this stuff was really exciting to me. We're, Neil, you were talking about the weirdness. Um, but yeah, I, Neil, I, I love that you bring hope, that you're talking about hope so centrically in this, in this, uh, in this passage, because for some reason the the whole, any talk about dry bones and just like being a, like us being like a bag of bones or whatever, it just like always brings my brain back to the concept of monotony and like a monotonous life, a life without a purpose, just literally just these like, we're like these, yeah, bag of bones, just kind of like trudging along, not knowing what to do. Um, so then like, yeah, this whole, you, you breathed your life into me, not only like literal life, but also like just energetically in our day-to-day -day lives, like what that looks like of, um, yeah, like breaking up our monotony and feeling, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just like, there's, it's like energy bringing more so than just like, like literal life that we were given by Jesus, but also like, just like bringing this like sort of like light and these, the darkness of these bones, just like trudging about through life and into these like beings with a purpose. I don't know. I'm just rambling, but I really, I really love the imagery in this and the, yeah, the hopefulness you were talking about, Neil. Y'all might be rambling, but it's uh, pretty strong stuff that I'm hearing in the space today. And I'll, I'll just add, um, you know, often in the Old Testament um, for us, the it's hard for us to get the context of so many of these passages. Um, and some of the reasons is because of the ways that we have Christianized the passages, right? Like we have... And, and I'm not here to give the, I actually cannot recall right now the context of 
what Ezekiel speaking into, like, you know, what what captivity is speaking from somebody's gonna send us a message like it's this captivity and like this is the you know, and like, yeah, this is and I think all of that's super valuable. So and but my point is the ability of the old testament text, even even outside of context, to to bring hope. And and I Neil, I love how you pulled up that one. That one verse, like we, the end of it, we are completely finished. And the ways that an Old Testament text, granted an updated translation, but an Old Testament text, a prophecy, right? Like deep in the weeds of Ezekiel, here is this moment where people are reading it in 2023 and are like, huh, my life has meaning. Right? And I was like, I am so here. I am so here for a reading of this of the scriptures that are supposedly not relevant to our lives and yet reading it and not needing all of the stuff. I mean, yes, and I'm the guy who wants to make sure everybody has all the context and also how beautiful it is to read Ezekiel 37 and be given hope that you are not just a bag of bones in God's sight. And to have a story that literally like, is like, no, 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 no. God is able to raise the dead. Yes, figuratively and metaphorically in me. Because we could also do that thing where it's like, God can raise that dead. Like that, those, those over there, over there. Not over here, over there. And so when I hear, particularly young adults, they're talking about, gosh, a scripture in Ezekiel. And like, it gives me hope. Ah, the whole life right now, y'all. So with that, we're going to take a break while I figure out what to do with all these emotions because y'all know I don't do emotions real well. So I'm gonna, we're going to take a break. I'm going to get my emotions back in check and then we'll be right back for the rest of this episode. Welcome back. We're going to dive right into our psalm text with the great creative Michael Yerrick. Take it away, my guy. Uh, all right. Yeah, so I have Psalms one, Psalm 130. Uh, I just want to read verses 5 and 6 for you real quick. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Um, I, I picked this chunk specifically because, well, one, in like the theater world, anytime something's repeated twice, it's got to be incredibly important. So more than the watchman wait for the morning and then NIV translation is repeated twice. Um, I This is a, sim, a simplistic um, kind of take on this, but I mean, I think it's worth worth saying, so I'm going for it anyways. Um, I... I mean, it's it's centered around the cliche that uh, waiting makes the heart grow fonder, right? Um, <clears throat> I think this this concept of waiting for the Lord, my whole being is waiting for God. Um, just taking this time, especially in ad or in the sorry, I was going to say Advent in the Lent time of like fasting and our um, our time until Easter, just like waiting and the patience involved, especially as somebody like me who's not patient in the slightest. But um, there is something about waiting and the concept of waiting that that does <clears throat> help us learn not to take advantage of things. I think about how like 
I, I, so I have like a, a seven year old niece who I don't get to see very often. Um, and it's because of the, the, the long periods of time that I go without seeing her that when I do finally end up at home, I don't spare a second, right? Like I want to be around her and spend time with her because that's the time that I'm given. Um, and though that doesn't directly translate to, to the Lord because God is always present with us, there is something about, about like waiting for that direct communication. Um, like God's always there, but we're, we're oftentimes waiting for his response or his opinion or his idea. And, um, his word puts, and in his word, I put my hope, like we're putting our trust in the fact that his word will come and we're waiting. And there is a piece in this like concept of, uh, yeah, not taking advantage of God's presence through that. Um, uh, I also wanted to just kind of like address the fact that this psalm is called a song of ascents because there isn't like a direct. It, does, it to me the concept of waiting and everything doesn't actually like directly tie into that. But um, I do think there's a lot of interesting imagery here that from a like from a creative standpoint, I'm like, ah, oh, that's that's really beautiful. I'm thinking of um, uh, out of the depths I cry to you, my ears being attentive, ears perking up. Um, who could stand for God, the, the rise of the morning with the watchman, like the watchman's day to day is, or the, the watchman's job watching over the night is like super stressful. And then when the sun rises in the morning that they've been waiting for the entire time, that brings this flood of relief. Um, and that also relates directly to that same idea of uh, when we finally hear from God, there's this relief that's put over us. And it's a relief that we're not going to take advantage of. We're not going to like, like we're ready to hear it because we've been waiting and, and longing for this. And I, I do think that's longing in a positive context, not a bad one, like an impatient person like myself would think. Um, it's a time of reflection, um, a time to like sit and think over, yeah, sit in reflection and meditate on the, like, the, the impact of what we're going to be hearing. So I don't know if any of that made sense, but uh, I feel it. What else can you ask for? Lovely. Oh, beautiful. What are we thinking, Neil, Brooke? What are we thinking? While you were talking, like, I had the thought, it was like, um, <laughs> I want to, like, testify to, like, how this has been true in my life. And I can, like, say that now because I'm not trying to get into a secular divinity school. Um, but I... Um, <laughs> And I, like, I don't know how God works. Like, I really don't. <laughs> I don't know how God works. Um, and again, for me, it's always, like, I've seen God work in my life. But, like, I don't know why, like, all these horrible things are still happening in the world. Like, I, I don't get that. But for me, I felt it so true that in the times where I'm suffering, um, in so many ways. And again, like, it's really easy to say this from this moment. Right. Like, I don't know if this would have meant anything to like Brooke, like in deep pain. Right. Like, I don't know. But to me, like, from the vantage point that I'm at right now, I wish I could go back to Brooke in the past in those moments of suffering. And when I, when I like feel stressed out, when I feel worried, when I feel sad, like, I try to carry this with me, uh, the sense that like I'm holding right now in this moment that like God, God will knit everything all together. Like God is good. Um, God deeply sees us. God knows us. 
um, God knows what we need. God knows what our heart's desires are. And God made us and God loves us and God wants good things for us. Um, and it's like leaning into that spirit and trusting in God and believing in like God's forgiveness and power and goodness, um, which I also attach to. I have to attach that to like if I believe and witness and experience God doing that for me and God is big enough to do that for me, like how much more God can do that for this world <laughs> and for everyone in it. Um, so just like trusting myself to God. Um, and I just, yeah, like I... I'm in a moment where I'm not reading this from a place of like, oh my gosh, like I'm in a place of waiting, but from a place of like, I'm so glad that I've waited. I'm so glad that God is faithful. Um, and I, yeah, reflecting on this psalm, I just hope to, when I am in those times of waiting again, I hope to bring bring that spirit of like, I'm waiting and and God is present and God will continue to knit everything together in ways that are more beautiful than we could ever imagine. Yeah. I, <clears throat> there's a thought that entered my brain, Michael, when you're talking about um, how the phrase more than watchmen wait for the morning is like repeated. And I couldn't remember it, but I just remembered it now. Uh, there's this YouTuber I love named Adam Neely, who does a lot of music and jazz stuff. And there's this thing that's almost become a meme on his channel where he says repetition legitimizes where it's like, cause you know, in some school, in some you know schools of music, right. You know, like with jazz musicians and whatnot. Sure. If you hit a wrong note, like, yeah, like that's bad or whatever. But what if you hit that wrong note over and over again in a way to like emphasize something and draw attention to it? And I think that's what's happening in this passage, like when it says, you know, more than the watchmen wait for the morning, because because Derek will do this when he preaches and stuff. He'll say, you know, he'll look at you and then he'll say something again or he'll go say it with me or something like that, because it's an important thing, because something I was thinking about. Right. It's like I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. And I'm imagining these these poor watchmen, right, who have to work the night shift. They don't see like the sunlight is their bit of hope. Right. Because as soon as they see the morning comes, that means that they can go home and that they can rest and that they can stop worrying for whatever, whatever enemy or whatever will come in the night. Right. Like just poor. It's like the <laughs> it's like the night watch in Game of Thrones. Like that's that's what it is. You know, there it's really just the night watch in Game of Thrones where you're just waiting for the sun to come up. That way you can think, OK, we're, we're safe now. The sun is up. It's everything is going to be OK, because there is like this sort of. I guess for some people, at least, you know, a certain hope that like, you know, comes with like the coming of the morning and the coming of, you know, the sun, like, you know, it signifies like a new day, a rebirth, as it were. Um, and I also like, you know, what you were saying, you know, broke about about just sort of a just a radical hope that like God is good and that through God, everything is just going to everything. Everything will buff out, as Neil used to say. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know just uh it's it's not a long passage but at the same time it's also a beautiful one um yeah i'm loving this um and i'm just gonna uh give content warning now because pretty much everything else i'm gonna say in this episode uh relates to grief and uh trauma death will be coming in a second so i'll just give that warning now but in response to Psalm 130 and, and Michael, your thoughts around it. Um, one, the songs of ascent are interesting 
they literally are the psalms that the people of God would recite, sometimes even sing, as they were walking up the steps to the temple in Jerusalem. And these are, this is not like a, a you know, kind of three-step staircase. Like it, it is a long sort of journey from the, the valley all the way up to the temple. And so these songs of ascent are literally, they're ascending to the hill of the Lord. The thing that's interesting about the, the songs of ascent is that they are not all happy, cheery, we're going to the mountain of the Lord. Like Psalm 130, out of the deep have I called unto you. Um, you know, and, and, and this 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 crying out of our grief and our disappointment. And yet somehow, and I'll say this again in a second, but somehow it being connected to our anticipation of worshiping this God our, and, and this sense that we are, we are bringing all of that with us up the mountain. But I'll also say this, and it's a more personal story. Um, when I was in high school to vocal major at, a, at the art school here in Jacksonville and go DA, we don't have a mascot, go DA. Um, and, uh, I was in the depths of depression uh, in, in, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. And one of the, one of the songs that we sang out of the Rudder Requiem, it's, it's called Out of the Deep. It's Psalm 130. And every time I'd sing this song in the choir, like it wasn't a solo, I'd sing it. With it but every time I sang it, it was one of the few times that I felt my depression sort of crying out to God. Normally, I'd sort of try to hold it in and push it down as much as I could. But I would sing out of the deep. And it was almost like it gave me permission to, and again, I'm going to say it this way, to sing my depression to God. And that's what I hear in Psalm 130 now because of all those, and, and, and literally like, you know, week after week of singing this song, and it literally starts out of the deep as I called into thee. My Lord, Lord, hear my prayer. Um, and just so many different lines within that song coming out of this psalm that, and it, and it, I look back, I, look, Brooke, just like you were saying, like if I could go talk to that Derek, like one of the things I would say to that Derek is keep singing, keep singing this song to God. Like don't, don't discount the power of singing this song, this song. I feel like I'm in the depths of despair. Lord, hear my prayer. And so I was just reminiscing on that, Michael, as you were responding to it. And um, yeah, with that, I'll probably take us into the gospel text. I appreciate all of you so, so, so much. Um, but yeah, I'll go into the gospel text. And again, content warning, I'm going to talk about grief. I'm going to talk about death. I'm going to talk about disappointment. Um, I think it'll be helpful, though. I was reading, uh, so our, our, our gospel text is John 11. It's a story of, of Lazarus. Lazarus uh, dies. He is the brother of Mary and Martha, who we know is really, really close to Jesus. Jesus is not with them. He's away. Lazarus dies. Word get, Well, Lazarus falls sick. Word gets to Jesus. And actually, I'll just read a little bit of this. Um, so verse 3, so the sisters... Um, so the sisters sent word, this is verse three of chapter 11. Uh, so the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God so that God's son can be glorified through it. And I want to stop here because these, these words are specific, not general. Here's what I mean by that. This, the way that this scripture sort of unpacks for us, we're hearing Jesus say, Lazarus is not going to die from this illness. Um, this and, and this is all for the glory of God. At least I hear Jesus is saying that Lazarus will not die and that's going to be for God's glory. Translation, death is not glory. Death is the opposite of God's glory. Now we know in this story that Lazarus does die. And I think some of the beginning of disappointment is this connection, well, at least for me, I'll speak for me. For me, some of the beginning of the disappointment is narratives that I've been told that in order for God to be glorified, I cannot experience any kind of loss. That to experience loss means God is not glorified in my life. And I want to disconnect these two things because one, we're going to have to work it out. Like, Lazarus is going to die. Jesus' disciples, Mary and Martha, the, the Jews that are all around, they're all going to have to work out what it means for God to be glorified, even though Lazarus is going to die. And that, that leads me on, Lazarus does die. And Jesus finally arrives. We all know that feeling of asking God to do a thing. We might have even had somebody say to us, God's going to do that thing. And then the deadline passed and God didn't do the thing. And so here's a natural response to that. What, where, where were you? This is literally what Martha and Mary both do. Right? Where were you, Jesus? And they, go, they literally go on. When Jesus arrived, this is verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb. Um, four for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary. Uh, uh, Martha, and, and when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained in the house. So I'm sure there are reasons why Mary remains in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have, would, wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And so here's, and it, you know, the story's going to go on. Jesus is going to say some incredible things to Martha. Martha's going to be heartened. She's going to go say something to Mary. Mary's going to come out. Mary's going to literally say to Jesus, oh my gosh, if you hadn't, if you had been here. <laughs> um, and here's what I want to say. I want to say that this questioning of why weren't you here, which can be grief, which can be disappointment, which can be despair. So often I think I've been told that these things are, are, are functions of a lack of faith in Jesus. And I want to get on record and say, I want to get on the record and say that these are actually functions of faith. And it pings back to Psalm 130 for me. I'm crying out to God in my grief and despair and in the depths because I really do think God hears me in that. And I'm, 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 okay, so let me tell my story and then I'm gonna get out of here. All right, some of you know that in uh, September of 2022, end of September, my brother, Maurice, passed suddenly. Um, 
And he had been in a group chat that morning with me, my siblings, and my dad. And we were all joking around. And then around 6 p.m., we started getting a message that something's wrong with Maurice. And uh, by the time we rolled around 7.30, he's apparently no longer with us. And my best friend Richard comes right over, and I'm sitting in the living room just trying to process this. And I asked Richard if, um, if I could pray. And here's what I prayed. He prayed with me, but here's what I prayed. I said to Jesus, I am not ready for my brother to die. And I'm asking you to do something because I'm not ready for this. I'm not here for it. And I know you love me. I know you hear me. So I need you to do something. I need you to move because I'm not ready for this. That was literally my prayer that night. And I woke up the next morning and my brother was indeed dead. And several days later, I walked into a funeral, funeral home and there he was, his lifeless body in front of me. Now I'm, I'm saying this again, content warnings, y'all. I need you to hear me that, that in no way, shape or form was my prayer asking Jesus to keep my brother from dying a lack of faith. That was full of faith. Like that was, and you hear it, right? Like to ask Jesus to, to do something different, faith, and to have to go through the process of grieving the loss of my brother, faith. Mary and Martha in this story are examples of faith in Jesus. They are not examples of people who walk away. And let me just name it. Mary stays back. And I think part of the reason Mary stays back, it says, yeah, she's like, where the hell were you, Jesus? And she's got, there's some stuff. She's, yeah, she needs some time. But she's going to eventually get out of her house. In fact, she's going to run out of her house so quickly that the other, the folks who are watching are like, wait, where's she going? Where's she going? We got to follow her. Like, she's going to move so quickly. Why? Faith. And so here's what I want to say, friends. I just want to say that the, the, yes, Lazarus rises from the grave. Yes, yes, yes. Let's not miss all the things that happen on the way there. On the way there is faith. Martha's faith, Mary's faith, Rocky for sure, <laughs> full of emotions and stuff. Every step of this passage is about faith in Jesus. And I do believe that grief and disappointment and despair can be functions of our faith because we have heard that Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. We have heard it. We are trying to figure out what that means for our lives. And so like the Psalms of Ascent, we bring it all with us up the mountain. Like the, the passage in Ezekiel, man, can, can these bones live again? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. And when the answer is no, Jesus, because we believe in you, we got some words. <laughs> and even when we look at the text from Paul and Romans and trying to think through how we relate to these things that are natural versus things that are not so natural and how the spirit of Christ lives inside of us, all of this is going up as faith in Jesus. Okay. So with that, Michael, Michael Neil Brooke thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, I, I love the way that you tied this all together. I, um, I think you actually like addressed 
one of the the biggest things I'm not gonna speak for everybody, but for me growing up in like Baptist church, this is like one of those, one of those big like contradictions that as a kid I felt right is you hear, you always hear these, these, the, the story of, of, you know, the devil tempting Jesus and the whole, like, don't question G or don't question God or like how, how wrong it is of you to like, of, of God to like ask to turn these rocks to bread or like, you know, those sort of things. And that just becomes this sort of idea that like to question anything of God or Jesus is this like horrendous thing. And we're scared of it. We're literally scared of it. Or at least I was like scared of it as a kid. Like if I ask anything of God, then like, how dare I like not have faith that it's like to question to ask a question of God is to is to somehow say that like you don't trust his plan, which is like totally like contradictory to everything we know about one Jesus and two just the processing of grief in general. Like literally isn't one of the stages of grief to like to to question or to like um, I forget what the actual word is, but you know, it's like to retaliate against that information of like denial. Yes, thank you, Brooke wrote, wrote it in the chat. Like denial is literally like part of that is to is to to fight back and like i think we all have a story of like or may have a memory of like as a kid your first engagement with like being old enough to know to know that death means something but not to really know and like what is a child's natural response why <laughs> like why why is that a thing and like with all this imagery in the bible of like god really like speaking to us as as like his like children of god like it just makes so much more sense that like he wants us in that dialogue, like wants us engaged with that in him. Like, yeah. So, so sorry, all that to say, like, thank you for, for phrasing it that way, Derek. I feel like you just brought some like major understanding to like a question I've been like frustrated about for a very long time. So that's, that's really nice. Thank you. Yeah, I think <clears throat> oh lord, that's not a good time for Flynn. Um I think uh Yeah, there's a certain I uh, you know also like growing up like in in Baptist spaces, one thing that was often quoted to me in terms of like questioning stuff, right, is that there are some things the mind of man just cannot comprehend. Um which often was just used as a way to deter any and all questions we had <laughs> where it's like, Oh, but what about this? What about this? Like, well, we just can't understand because we are only people, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, but I still, my question's still not even remotely answered. I'm not even pointing in the direction of an answer. And, you know, even when it like comes to like questioning anything else, right? Like, why did this happen? You know? Cause that's, that's often like, I often, I believe that the most important question is always why they actually say that in the uh, black Panther Wakanda forever. How is never as important as why. Um, and cause the why is the question that we always want the, the answer to. Why did this happen? Why did you do that? Why do I feel this way? Like, you know, like any of that. And then conjointly it's, well, when is it going to end? Um, is another one, but I think, Oh, I was going somewhere. Oh, yeah, like in relation specifically to like, you know, grief and saying like, oh, there's some things that we cannot comprehend. It's like, well, it's not like of any particular comfort, you know, and neither is saying it's all part of God's plan. You know, it's like, why? <laughs> you know, it's like, 
why does it have to be part of God's plan? Like, why, why does God decide that like we have to live through these awful things? But there is an element of grief that is just like it's it's the labyrinth of suffering that we all try to navigate our way out of. And sometimes getting out of the labyrinth is not what is important. But the more important part is what you take with you when you get out, if you get out. Really, life is just one labyrinth to another until you die. But it's the lessons that you take with you. And sometimes it's okay to get lost in the labyrinth. It's okay to sit down and give up for a little while, you know, because like you'll get out eventually, even if you just wander out by accident and then there'll be the next one in front of you. Um, but, you know, whenever you start that next one, it's like you'll have learned your lessons from the last one. Hopefully you'll be able to take them with you and make some, make some changes and do things differently. But the labyrinth of suffering is one that is just often feels never ending, but it's not the end, you know, it's just one really, really, really shitty chapter that you just kind of have to keep reading your way through, but there's no, there's no way to just flip the page and skip it. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, to use a Derekism, um, I feel like kind of deep in my feels right now. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's really important to me. I feel really, really, really passionate about this, that, um, grief is natural and should not be, um, should not be like made to be like a bad or like an unhealthy thing. Like I think sometimes like the toxic positivity of, um, some theologies where like, you know, like we have to, this idea, like you said, Derek earlier, um, like this idea that people assume, like if you're going up to, to God, if you're singing the song of ascent, like it has to be like happy, happy, happy. But really the truth is like, they were being honest. They were, they were being honest about what they were experiencing. And like all through the old Testament, you see that. Um, or even when people like so many times, and I don't know, like, I don't really know, like, what happened or what was represented, but I get really, really upset by the interpretation that Mary, that, like, Jesus cried because he was, like, so upset with, like, Mary's lack of faith. Like, that makes me so upset because it takes away from what I read as, like, Jesus's compassion in this moment. And again, to me, like, honesty, honesty in our suffering is, like, one of the most faithful responses that we can give to God. I, um, <laughs> in this room, like behind me, um, I had, um, when my uncle died in 2019, it was really, really hard for me. And it was New Year's Eve. And I remember I sat on the floor and I read this passage and I was just so upset because I was just like, I know it doesn't work like that. Right. Like I, <laughs> you know, like, and I know, I know, but like when, when, and for me, when I'm grieving, when I'm experiencing a lot of emotions, like my thinking gets really, um, just like, this doesn't make sense, you know, like nuance, like fades. And just like, I know you said, like, 
people can rise from the dead and like glory and like all of this stuff. But like, that's not what's happening like here on earth. Like that's not what's happening. And just like being in that pain, right. And grief. Um, honestly, like I, without antidepressants, like I would still be feeling that grief like three years later. Like it's so heavy and it's so hard and like, or depression or like when you're feeling it, like, like you're saying, Neil, I think the only way to really get through it is to get through it, which is different from like the message that we're told. But I, for me personally, I think the most faithful response we can give to God is this like, I hate this. I don't understand. I'm really mad at you. Um, I would, I remember one time I was driving to Flagler, which is like a 50 minute ride, 52. It was like, it was like a 90 minute because of traffic but I was driving to Flackler and I was just like listening to these songs that used to remind me of like God's love and faithfulness and every time I listened to a song I'd be like yeah and I'm not feeling that because that's not my experience right now and just being radically honest with God in that way um I don't know I think that God cherishes that and I think that the Holy Spirit comes to meet us in those moments um and yeah I I really appreciate your vulnerability Derek um, and Michael and Neil and your honesty and yeah, thank y'all. Such a rich conversation today. Friends, let me pray for us as we end this episode. Jesus, I just thank you that you're meeting us right where we are. Um, these texts um, sometimes speak to the experiences that we're having at the moment and then others speak to spiritual realities that we've yet to really access. And yet all of it is helpful. All of it is challenging. All of it helps us grow closer to you and go closer to each other. And so thanks for the chance we have to read through these texts and to discuss them together. And we pray that those who've listened would be heartened to know that you are with us through it all, whether you are breathing new life into dry bones or we are burying those bones. And uh, we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Brooke, always so grateful for you and the insights that you bring. Michael, my favorite creative human being, thank you. Neil, always just bringing the raw. Used to be, it'll buff out. And now I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out what your, what your slogan's going to be. Um, we'll see, probably not like a, a bones rattling thing. Sound of dry bones rattling. <laughs> it's the sound of my knees cracking because they're in awful shape. Okay, you ain't that old. All right, so friends, thanks for joining us for this episode of Studio Western Index. We'll see you next week. Be well, y'all. Bye.